Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Look at your neighbor and say, I feel good. I just wish I had some heat. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Where did this come from? Like yesterday was so nice. And today it's hell freezing over. I have no idea what's up. So hey, this was in your seat. I know she just talked about that in the loop, the EXO banquet. So pre-COVID, we would uh, do like a marriage conference type thing, like a Friday night. Sometimes we'd go to a hotel. I think the last one we did just here, like a Friday night and Saturday. Friday night's always better attended than Saturday because... You're paid, no, I won't go there. But anyway, uh, so we thought, hey, let's, let's not swim upstream. Let's kind of give into the rhythm of that. So my goal as I was going into this year, I don't want to give up on the concept of that. So we're planning on doing a couple of these this year. The first one is in February, the month of love. And so uh, we've not opened it on the website yet. You, we'll do that next week. So if you go try to register today, it'll say sold out. That's not real, but anyway, and so uh, just excited. Got a guest speaker going to come in and be a part of that night. It's catered dinner, catered meal. $30 is for you and your spouse, and then if you need child care, it's $5 a kid, but like we're not making money off of this. We're just trying to cover the cost and make sure it's a great event, and then we're toying with an after party afterwards where we'll have fun stuff. I think people like to go two-stepping, but that's just me, so I don't know. I mean, there's a certain little band that plays around here called BK and the Brand. Right? Right? So you would dance. Yeah. All my millennial staff people are like, nobody would dance. I'm like, what? Yeah, they would. Amen. <laughs> Get mad on sabbatical. I'm going to change some things. No, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> hey, this is a first Wednesday week, which means uh, weather permitting. And the best thing to do is follow us on social media. We also have a newsletter we can send out if you want to get signed up for that. But uh, like nobody calls on news stations anymore. So just check our social media. The plan is it'll be cold, but the plan is that we will have first Wednesday dinner. Absolutely free. Five o'clock. Great time of fellowship. And then service will start at um, 630. So hope you will be here for that. Um, my plan is today to cut just a little bit short because the room's a little set up differently because it's our small group rally where you have an opportunity to get connected to one of our, I think we have over 25 small groups this semester. Some of those are student age, um, but we have a variety of things. And if you've never taken that step to get into a small group, I really encourage you to do that. One of the small groups that we find the most success here, and it's one of my favorite ones that we do, is the new to Hillspring small group. So like if you're new and you're like, well, I don't want to go into a room full of people that nobody knows each other. Well, congratulations. We have a room where nobody knows each other. And it's our new to small group this semester. Pastor Will and his wife Kelly are leading it. You can find it over in that direction. I hope you will uh, don't leave today to at least go shopping a little bit. And I don't mean with money, just clarifying, right? So good. Also, somebody at the end of first service said, like, do you think we'll be done with Mark, like maybe by April? And I said, ah, he knew, you know, April 2024. I'm like, hey, slow your roll. So, so far we're four weeks and two chapters and we're averaging about two weeks per chapter. So it's. It's good. If you got your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 2. We are on a journey with Jesus as we're kind of walking through the gospel of Mark. And our story today will land us in Mark 2. I'm going to pick up a couple of verses out of Mark chapter 1 just for context of, of what we're landing in. And it's, I'm just going to kind of, kind of spoil the ending for you. It's the calling of one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And at first in the story, you'll see him as Levi. But throughout the course of the gospel of Mark, his name becomes Matthew. 
And it's Matthew, the gospel writer that you see, because if you're taking notes, and I keep referring to Levi, it gets confusing. So um, Matthew's moment here kind of is gonna teach us some lessons. And studying this week, I never realized the impact of the calling of Matthew. Like it's just, okay, Jesus is, is building his dream team, that's cool, but no, there's, there's a lot into the story. That's why I take the time to just kind of unpack this as opposed to Simon, Peter, and James, and John. Why was Levi's calling so significant? So earlier in the week, I received a text message, and it was a little, little picture of an invitation to a birthday party for a four-year-old, and the text message came from uh, my daughter's FFA teacher, okay? And her daughter's having her fourth birthday, and I thought, oh, that's so sweet. Her teacher wants Kaylee there and wants the Kelloggs to be there. I mean, that's so sweet. Only seconds later, to be followed by the text, I am so sorry. That was supposed to go to my favorite cousin, Brent. And I'm like, well, imagine my disappointment of not being the favorite. I mean, that's a bad day. So now I kind of feel uninvited to the skating birthday party for a four-year-old. Do I go? Do I not go? What do you wear? Like all these questions are going through my mind, right? And then so her next text said, I'm just gonna apologize in advance for what my grandpa may or may not say because it was in a group text that she included me to which I assumed, <laughs> this is about to get good. If your grandpa's anything like my grandpa, who knows what's about to, because my granddad, there was no filter. You know, the Bible take, says take captive every thought no, he didn't even harass them. There was nothing like they just came out, right? So I receive another text from an unknown number in this group text, and it says, Dear Katie's school board president, that's me. This is the real favorite cousin, Brent, and I just want to say hi. <laughs> Can't wait to see you at the birthday party and watch you skate. So now, like, I feel obligated to go to said birthday party, right? And then grandpa finally chimed in in the conversation and let's just say he did not disappoint. It met all of its expectations. It was amazing, right? After his comments, again, I get another text message on the side from said FFA teacher that said, I'm really sorry about all that. And so to ease her trauma, I said, well, I'm not so much worried about what he said is about what I'm gonna wear to the party, you know? And so... Maybe you have that grandpa. Maybe you have that person that you feel like you need to send the side text and say, I'm really sorry for the person that's coming with me. I'm really sorry for my crazy Aunt Karen. Uh, you, maybe you have these friends that like old high school friends, like I'm, I'm really sorry for him. Shoot, maybe you're the person people are always apologizing for. I don't know, right? Like if you don't know who the crazy person is in your family, Could be you. Could be you. And we talked about Mark's gospel is the active gospel. Mark is a get to work kind of guy. Like he didn't even bother to tell the birth of Jesus. He just gets straight to the stories and the ministry and the calling. And in this chunk, he's compiling his dream team of disciples that are gonna help him. And one of the things that was so intriguing to the crowds about Jesus, no one knew what he was gonna say or do next. Like he could turn water into wine or he might heal someone or he could do a miracle or he could take on the religious uppity or he might walk on water or might raise the dead or might disappear into the night where no one could find him. 
It was a very common engagement for the crowd to go. Do something, Jesus. Almost like he was a circus monkey. Entertain us. If you, if you do a miracle, then Jesus will we'll listen to what you say. And in Mark chapter two, Jesus does something all right that part of the, that crowd that day was like, wait, what just happened? It was awesome. And then there's the other part of the crowd that probably felt like they need to send the side text and apologize for what crazy grandpa was gonna say. And they just, they just felt this, oh no, this is not gonna end well, okay? Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter two is in its infancy. He is preaching, he is traveling, he is teaching, he's healing. We've already seen some of that, but it's still in its infancy. And he has a plan to build a ministry that would be sustainable, okay? But to do that, he's gonna need some help. And so he drafts, 12 disciples, but there would become many more followers, but he brings along these 12 closer companions that would help him. And the plan was also to entrust his ministry, to entrust the gospel to those 12 men, that they would take the message of Christ and who he was to the ends of the earth after he would be crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascend into heaven. So in Mark chapter one, I'm gonna borrow just a few verses there to build context. Um, Jesus looks at a couple of small business owners and said, hey, why don't you come follow me? Mark chapter one, verse 16 says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets and at once they followed him. A little further on the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's son, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets, and he called to them, and they followed him. Leaving their father Zebedee in the boats with all the hired men, I'm sure there might have been a heated conversation about, you're doing what? So you have Simon and Andrew, who are brothers, and you have James and John, who are brothers. All four of them are professional fishermen. By the way, three of those four would later become some of Jesus' closest companions. The way we know that, there's a story in Matthew chapter 17. Where we call it the transfiguration, literally the essence. The physical appearance of Jesus was transfigured. He's up on this mountain and, and, and Simon, James, and John, Jesus had invited them up there. And, and all of a sudden, Moses, who'd been dead for hundreds of years, and Elijah appear. And, and Simon, James, and John like, oh, this is awesome. And Jesus was literally transfigured. And so we get that indication that Simon, James, and John were closer. They were Jesus' closer companions than maybe the rest. So in Mark chapter one, these four fishermen were cleaning their nets and finishing up a day's work. And Jesus simply says, hey, why don't you come follow me? What's crazy as they do. The same thing happens we're gonna look at today for Jesus' fifth disciple that he would call according to the timeline of Mark's gospel. So now let's go to Mark chapter two and I wanna start in verse 13. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. And Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and he followed him. It's crazy, it's crazy. I mean, I guess the reputation of Jesus was beginning to spread. I guess he was kind of becoming a famous person. I think people were trying to gather the impression of who he was, but five guys drop their nets, get up from their desk, 
and follow him almost instantly. And this is not just bow your head, close your eyes, confess with your mouth kind of following. This is, honey, I'll be back. Don't know when. I'm not sure where I'm going, but I'll be back. You're good with kids, right? Where are you going? I don't know. I'm just going with Jesus. Who's Jesus? You know, I like, this is just crazy. Walk away from their established life. So I want to take a look at kind of three takeaways today. You'll see they all are brought to you by the letter P and the number three. The first one is the power of yes. The power of yes. Because Simon, Andrew, James, John, and now Levi all say yes to the simple invitation of just come follow me. Mark's the action gospel writer. He's quick-paced in his tempo. And he takes this pivotal moment with five men and he strips it down to its simplest form. Jesus called, they followed. Mark doesn't tell about the questions they might have asked. Mark doesn't indicate that they raised any doubts. Mark doesn't expand upon their mental processing. We don't see any hesitation. Jesus called, they followed. Mark paints this in a way of abandoned obedience. Sure, I'll walk away from my fishing business. Sure, I'll give up my tax collecting business. But we've all had those Levi moments where we had a decision to make. Would we follow Jesus? Would we follow Jesus with abandoned obedience? Maybe your decision was costly. Some told me some stories about, man, when I became a follower of Christ, I knew that was gonna bring tension between me and my dad, or I knew that my family was not gonna take that well. And maybe your decision was costly, but I think in a room like this, we would be hard-pressed to play the comparison game with Simon, James, John, and Andrew about what they gave up versus what we had to give up to follow Jesus. So I was sitting about right there, third row back, at Talala First Baptist Church. And we had pews then, beautiful burgundy pews with burgundy carpet and all that went with that. And typically, growing up as a kid, um, like you would have the end of the pew and my dad, as the protector of our family, would sit at the end, protecting his family from the harm that might come in the middle of church, right? And then next to him would be my mom, and then my brother and I, and, and sometimes it was like whoever could get the furthest away from mom so that we didn't get thumped or elbowed during church. And so dad at the end by the pew with the armrest and then mother, and then my brother and I. And so uh, this, my brother was off at college at the time. And so typically it was just me, my mom and, and dad at church on Sunday. And my parents got out of Sunday school early. My class went a little bit late. And so as I walk in, church getting ready to start, I see that dad had scooted over a little bit. And so there was space for me to sit by dad at the end of the pew. I became a man that day, my friends. I <laughs> sat at the end of the pew. I feel like it was divine. Couldn't tell you what the pastor preached. I just remember at the invitation time and Talala First Baptist, Brother Lester would get down and he would stand right there at the floor, and we would sing just as I am, over, over. Somebody just go so we can wrap this thing up. I don't remember what he preached. I just remember that Sunday, 
Something told me to go. I don't even remember the steps I took and I stood down there and in, in, a, in a little Baptist church, you walk the aisle for one of three things, like to get saved, get baptized, or surrender to missions. Some, I mean, I guess to join the church too, so before. And so you can imagine every eye in that small little church is the Kellogg kid finally walked the aisle. You know, the old women are like, finally, he's getting saved. No, grandma, it's not that. And I walk down there and he's like, I mean, he's just as shocked as I am. He's like, how'd you get her? And I'm like, I have no idea. I just feel like God's calling me. I mean, at the time I felt like I was being called into the, to the music ministry. Like I love music, love to play instruments and I love music ministry. And, and finally somebody heard me sing one day and they're like, honey, honey, God is not that cruel. No, if you think that's your calling, that's a prank call, that's not real. He's not calling you into that. Brother Lester explained to me that in scripture, not in that moment, but as he just began to kind of disciple me a little bit, and it, like there's no distinction in the calling. Like it's just a calling to follow Jesus, just like Simon, Andrew, James, John, and, and Levi. Now that can be expressed in different ways in different seasons. Like there may be a time where you have a passion to work with kids, but it's called to the gospel to work with kids. Or maybe there's a season where you feel called to, to work with teenagers or, or maybe work in, in worship ministry or on the mission field, but there's this calling to the gospel. Jesus found me on the third row Talala First Baptist Church. I cried all the way home that day. I'm a crier. Then when God squeezes my heart, it comes out my eyeballs, right? And he found Simon, Andrew, James, and John. He found them by their boats. He found Levi collecting taxes. Where does the Lord find you today? I don't mean, duh, you're listening to you. I don't mean geographically. I mean spiritually. Searching your heart. Where does God find you today? Are you running? Are you searching? Are you surrendered? Leads to the next question. What's the Lord's calling for your life? We all have a reason for being born. One of the biggest lies is the enemy is that you have no purpose. One of the biggest lies the enemy uses against people to do the unthinkable. We were all created for a purpose. The New Testament just calls it a calling. Not every calling is to go to the Philippines. Not every calling is to work with kids. Not every calling is to be a preacher of the gospel. But we all have been called. We all have a contribution to make. Here's the way Ephesians 4 says it. Paul is in prison when he writes this, I would think being in prison, you would be searching for purpose. Lord, why am I here? And this is what he says. I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, lead a life worthy of the calling for you have been called. You have been given a purpose. You have been given a reason to get out of bed and make a difference in your generation with your life. Paul's a prisoner. He can't go plant new churches. He can't go on a mission trip. He can't go to a new continent. He can't reach new converts for Christ. But he knew, even in prison, even in his chains, that we all have a contribution to make to the body of Christ. Scripture refers to us as a body. Some people are hands. Some people are eyes. Some people are armpits. It's fine, right? Do you know your reason for being? God created you so much more of a bigger purpose than to draw a paycheck and just live paycheck to paycheck and exist. 
He's created you for a God-given calling, a God-given destiny, and a God-given purpose. Can I get an amen? Now is the time. God said for you to be born. Now is the place. Jeremy, now is the time, Kelly, for you to be born in this generation to serve and live with those around you to make your contribution. That's found in the power of yes. Jesus said, come, and they said, yes. Verse 15, later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with scum? Like they don't mince words. So for our application today, I want to pull this story into the present. Levi, the tax collector, has abandoned his life to follow Jesus, become a Christ follower. So in our context, in 2023, he made a decision. We would say he became a Christian. And before you want to argue and send the email about, well, the cross hadn't happened and Levi couldn't be saved. Okay, I, I hear you. I agree with you. But I want to pull this story into our modern application. Levi basically becomes a Christian. He becomes a follower of Christ. And then he goes back to his old running buddies. Guys, guys, man, something happened to me. And there is something so precious and so beautiful about finding someone, meeting someone that just gave their life to Christ. Man, they're so fired up for Jesus. I love it when kids go, Mr. Prince, Mr. Prince, I got saved. Did. I got to high five them and I hug them. It's the best decision you'll ever make with your life. And the second one is to go to OSU. Stay out of Norman. It's not good. Levi's like, man, guys, you've got to meet Jesus. Jesus, tell you what, I got some buddies that I need you to do in them what you did in me. So just come to my house. It's cool. And I'm going to have you guys, you guys, man, I want you to come to my house and meet Jesus. Just like, don't bring all the beer. Like, we'll do that later. <laughs> Not only is he saved, but he also brings his lost friends to Jesus. In Christianity, it doesn't get any more beautiful. That's what we all should be doing, seeking, saving that which is lost. But ironically, there are those spiritual people that can't handle this. They're a little bit repulsed by this story. Today, tax collectors aren't really loved people. I, I mean, nobody wants to see the IRS calling. When I call somebody, like, who is this? It's the IRS. I either do that or I tell them my name is Habib and I'm calling to talk about a car warranty that's expired. Doesn't go that well. In the day of the Bible, the Roman government would move into a new place and they would contract with local people who knew everyone. And so basically you would become an extension, you would become an employee of the Roman government and you would collect taxes for the Romans. Now Rome just wanted their share, whatever percentage that might be, Rome just wanted their share and anything you collected above that, they don't care. Just pay us what's due us. And so you could keep anything you collected in excess of what the Romans demanded. So if you didn't care about your national patriotism, if you didn't care about your local reputation, 
all you wanted to do was grow your own personal wealth, man, you scored if you signed a contract with the Roman government to be a local tax collector with them. But to your neighbors, to the Jews, you were scum. You were a traitor. You were a sellout. You were more loyal to Rome than you would be your own people. And you were building your own personal wealth off the backs of your oppressed neighbors. So tax collectors had this mafia feel about them. So when Jesus and Simon and Andrew, James and John, Jesus looks at this scum of the earth tax collector and he says, come follow me. Just, just imagine being Andrew, James, John, Simon. We'll, we'll learn about Simon that like he's, he's Captain Obvious. Like he will just open his mouth and speak when nobody else will talk. And sometimes he speaks too soon and has the same issue I do. He puts his foot in his mouth a lot. You know in that moment Simon had to say something like, whoa, 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 geez, wait. Are you sure about that? Like, you know what he's doing right there, right? Brother's collecting taxes. He's not, like if you invite him to be a part of your ministry, man, that's gonna throw shade on you. I don't, I don't think that's how you grow a successful ministry. Andrew? I think we might have left the boats too soon. Can we go back? I didn't know following you, Jesus, meant I had to be friends with one of them. Did Simon, James, and John, did they feel that they would sometimes need to apologize for Levi? Would they have to text people? They didn't have phones, kids. But did they have to go to people on the side and go, man, listen, hey, so I know he's that guy, right? Some people are gonna have an issue with him because he's a tax collector. Listen, he's a former tax collector. He's been dry now for like 30 days. He's clean. And I never understood the significance of this moment. It reads like Jesus calls four fishermen and they're just walking by and he's like, you, tax collector. Come I mean, it just reads like Jesus is, is compiling this team to help him do his ministry and take the gospel. And, and you kind of miss the moment. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he called a scum of the earth to be on his team. He knew this would go right at the face and how religious people would respond. And Jesus is coming right at him by accepting Levi as one of his closest companions. Which leads to point number two, the problem with legalism. Don't know if you've ever been around legalistic people or maybe some of you in a church that had just that spirit of legalism. There's a problem with legalism. What is legalism? I love this definition. One writer said, it is a desire to control other people's behavior by enforcing an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts. Let me read that again. Legalism, it is a desire to control other people's behavior by enforcing this exhaustive list of do's and don'ts. Many times legalism is accompanied by judgmentalism. Legalism is not your friend. It is not well-intended. It is not well-meaning. It is misguided and it is stealing our freedom that can be found in the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and it's robbing people of the joy of life. Legalism is a bully. It's an act of intimidation under the name of spirituality. And the Pharisees had perfected the art 
of legalism for centuries. Like to be a teacher, the word would be rabbi. To be a rabbi, that was a well-honored position. Like that was a well-honored title. And by the time Jesus shows up on the scene in Capernaum, like man, they had just lived under a heavy legalistic religious system. People had been taught by these legalistic rabbis for decades, if not centuries. Legalism is deeply ingrained in people in their culture. That's all they ever heard. That's why, I, other than enduring the shame of the cross and the pain and brutality that went with it, I think one of Jesus' hardest struggles was getting people to think differently and break the bondage of legalistic religion. They had been manipulated by legalistic teaching. So when Jesus would teach, he was trying to get people to think differently. They had such a heavy view of God that God is always angry. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. He's Abba. He's dad. You can call him daddy. <gasps> that felt so sacrilegious. And Jesus was constantly trying to get them to think differently. And when Jesus would tell stories, it'd make them, what? You would hear things, Jesus, we don't understand. Jesus, no one can understand this. Jesus, what does this mean? Because he was trying to expand their mind to see Jehovah Father in a new way, apart from the legalism that they had been taught for centuries. And the theme of Jesus' teaching was think Think for yourself. Think about God in a new way. Think about the kingdom of God with a grace perspective. But when you follow legalist teachers and legalist rabbis who will gladly enforce man-made rules so they can manipulate you, so they can condemn you, you don't have to think. You just do. You just obey. It's even best if you don't question. You just do it. So Levi, the tax collector, basically a traitor to the Jewish people, had betrayed his own people for his own profit. That's the beauty of this story. Levi is more than just a disciple. He is a new message of hope and grace and acceptance that Jesus was come and trying to teach and he goes, here, let me show you. You, what everybody thinks is scum of the earth, why don't you come follow me because I'm gonna give them a physical illustration of this new way of thinking that I'm talking about. Amen. If Jesus can invite scum of the earth like Levi to follow him, that means there's hope for you and I. If Levi can be a follower, so can me. There's hope for me. Levi would eventually change his name to Matthew. That's why your notes talk about Matthew's moment. And he would be more than a disciple. He would be this new message of hope and grace and acceptance found in Christ, which leads to point number three, the potential that Jesus sees. Little fun fact, it's the last time we'll actually see the name Levi. From henceforth, he shall be known as Matthew. Go and sin no more, okay? We have a gospel by the name of Matthew in our 
Church history theological forefathers believe he was the author of it. Catch that. Scum of the earth, tax collector, Jesus, are you sure you want to hang out with him? Becomes one of the writers of one of the gospels that you and I have included in our Bible. Catch the power of that moment. The presence of Matthew was a test. It was a test for religious people. Jesus is trying to illustrate the message of the gospel in this guy that's the scum of the earth. But it was also a test for Simon and James and John and Andrew. Man, I don't know, Jesus. I'm not sure I want to be associated with him. Man, folks, I'm telling you, I'm really sorry. Levi, yeah, he's one of them. And if you could just kind of help me out here. Like we have to go around apologizing for him. Levi, Matthew was a test but he was also a broken, cold soul that was looking for a new life. He was looking for fresh air. He was looking for a new identity that only Jesus could give him. An old religious system had rejected him and Jesus had embraced him. The religious saw scum and Jesus saw a scribe of the gospel to be written. The legalists saw Levi, Jesus saw Matthew. In Mark chapter one, when I talked about those fishermen, the first two fishermen, it was Simon and his brother Andrew. That Simon, we would eventually refer to as Peter. Jesus changed his name. From now on, I'm gonna call you a rock. And on this rock, I'll build the church. So the crowd saw fishermen, Jesus saw church builders. The crowd saw scum, and Jesus saw potential in this guy named Levi. The people who see us today never believe it. They would never believe who we used to be until Jesus got involved. If they had known us before Jesus, before Jesus invited, before Jesus called us to work with him. When Jesus calls you, he sees you, but he sees who you're becoming through the power of his Holy Spirit. He sees past your doubt. He sees past your questions. He sees beyond your failure. He sees that you are more than a mistake. He sees the version of you that his spirit is calling and equipping and shaping and molding to be more in the image of Christ because we are changed from glory to glory. You might feel like scum, but he sees the potential of Matthew inside of you. That's the beauty of Levi's calling. He's more than a disciple. He was a physical sermon of the message Jesus was trying to preach of hope and grace and the potential that Jesus sees in you and I. Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh upon us today? Lord, it's so refreshing that there's hope for Levi, the scum of the earth. God, if you would call a guy like him, then there's hope for a scum like me. I'm thankful for Levi's life. It's a signal of a new way of thinking. It's a signal of a new message about grace and mercy. Father, I pray that this story speak deeply in our hearts. From now on, when we read about Levi, we stop and we give you thanks for saving a wretch like me. Where's your heart today? God, reveal where my heart is today. 
I don't want to run. I want to abandon obedience. Father, for those in the room that may be searching, I pray today they can be found. Every head bowed, every eye still closed. You're here today and you know you're not in right relationship with Jesus. I don't want to keep you much longer. I, I just, I want to simply share the gospel with you that all of us have sinned, that sin separated us from God. While you were dead and stuck in that sin, he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus, to come to the earth and die a horrific death on the cross. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. He shed his blood so that you could be forgiven of your sin. Scripture says that if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and you believe in your heart, God supernaturally raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Today, if you're not in right relationship with God, I wanna help you confess and believe. It's real simple. I'm just gonna lead you in a simple prayer. I'm not gonna embarrass you. You don't have to walk the aisle. You don't have to come down and talk to a preacher. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to talk to anybody. What's important is right there at your seat is that you pray this prayer with a heart of sincerity with me. Are you ready? If you're here today and you know you need that, just pray this prayer. Just say, dear heavenly father, right there, just dear heavenly father. I come to you today because I need you. I made a lot of mistakes and I don't want that life anymore. Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you come into my life, make me a new person? Today, Jesus, I completely surrender my whole life to you. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed, no one moving around, no one looking around. You're here today, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but you prayed that prayer. I wanna pray a simple prayer for you. If that's you, just slip up your hand real high. Nobody's looking, it's just me. If you prayed that prayer, slip it up real high. Before I had a couple today, if you're here today, don't miss this moment, anyone. Then Spirit of the living God, help us to reach the Levi's. We pray for hundreds of people to give their life to Christ for the mission and ministry and the partnerships of Hillspring Church. Father, thank you for the story of Levi and the new message his life preaches. In the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody says, come on, give God praise. Amen, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the world. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.